ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint. I am David Grubb, and normally on Wednesdays, the Dome Patrol is just myself and my man Ross Jackson. But today, today we have a special guest. For the first time ever, we have allowed someone into the inner circle of the Dome Patrol. And she's kind of the opposite of us because Ross and I are two black, bald men with goatees. <laughs> and so we have invited a white woman with plenty of hair, Maddie Huda. <laughs> I am so happy to be here in those exact terms. (laughs) That has to be the best introduction Maddie has ever gotten. Everybody, Maddie Hudak, white woman with a lot of hair. Welcome. You know, because that's how we look. The dome patrol is is tied to our lack of follicles. (laughs) Oh, I get it now. Wow. That was that was disappointingly late for me. <laughs> so that's why we went with it. And so, you know, just like, you are, okay, cool. Yeah, you're like our negatives. <laughs> you're you're bizarro dome patrol. That's who you can I'm the actual dome patrol coming in with <laughs> Right. We're the dome, you're the patrol. There you, <laughs> go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so Maddie, first, um, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Um, just give folks who may not know about all your work, uh, just give a quick rundown on who you are. Uh, Maddie Hudak. I cover the Saints. Yes. Um, and I also am the sideline reporter for Tulane football. You can usually just find me on Twitter, acting a fool. Yes. And I was offline, Ross, before you joined us, I was saying mm-hmm. to Maddie, I said, you, she and I tweet alike. Yes, because- you do. <laughs> We're a curated version <laughs> of my inner thoughts. <laughs> Whereas, if I ever honestly wanted to hire a PR person, it would just be Ross. It's yes. present this as you would. <laughs> yes, because Ross makes no enemies. He makes no enemies. Nope. Nope, it's like not about him. No need for him. There's like, you know, for Ross, it's like Zamunda. There are people just dropping rose <laughs> yes. petals in front of him as he walks. And, you know, it ain't the same for me and Maddie. <laughs> got some roughness on the edges. <laughs> Listen, I, I at least offer criticisms with extensive explanations as to why. So yeah. I, I'll just keep that. It's not, yeah. I'm not really Twitter's uh, BFF in terms of what they want on there. I'm like, no, I sure. like to over explain things. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing is that I think, you know, we all bring detail mm-hmm. to a place that is not really fond of detail. Right. You know, we don't do hot takes. We don't do, um, we don't just make guesses. We don't try to have, try to be first. We don't try to be always right. We try to analyze. And sometimes when you analyze, you're wrong. And Ross, you know, the thing that we've always said is we don't count how many times we're right. We just nah. try to give folks the best information in that moment. Um, and our opinion in that moment. And we're, we're gladly proven wrong when we're wrong and we're not really that excited when we're proven right. It's yeah. I, I had a friend of mine, uh, Lauren Cox, who reminded me of a quote from, from Colin Cowherd. I know not a lot of people are, are, you know, fans of Colin Cowherd because of his content and his takes, things like that. But I mean, the guy's in the business for a reason and he does what he does for a reason. It's because he's really good at what he does. And one of the things that he talked about was that, uh, you know, 
listeners don't hold him accountable for being wrong. They hold him accountable for, or not that they don't hold him accountable. Sorry. They're not, they don't get mad at him for being wrong. They get mad at him when he talks about the wrong things, right? As in, are you talking about what we care to hear about? And so for the most part, when it comes to, I think all three of our styles, we're very much in tune with what it is that people are talking about what they want to hear about, what they want to hear more of, what their opinions are versus what somebody else's opinions are. So here's the information that you need in order to develop your own opinion. Here's how I feel about it in terms of what my takeaway from it all is. And then it's open for conversation. Therefore, it does not have to be something to where, you know, it's, you know, I, I'm right, you're wrong. There's no black or white in the midst of any of these situations. It's simply, here's the information. Now let's have a fun conversation about it. And let me tell you what I think about it. It's, it's way, way more, um, I think, engaging and simple than, than that. Yeah, A, that was like incredibly eloquent just to say, uh, but just also B, I, I feel like people like want to prove people right or wrong. And sometimes that's not what they're attempting to do. Mm -hmm. Like when you're making a week five analysis, it, it's <laughs> what you've seen through five games. You know, right. like I, I'm not going to pretend like I can predict something from week 12 or week 13 realistically, knowing right. how many factors it, of can change from here to then. I mean, you can make thoughtful and informed essential guesses, but we're all honestly just kind of, you know, shooting in the dark to an extent. It's just, you know, taking the time to kind of reset, check your information and mm -hmm. always just be willing to admit when you have a wrong take. Right. Don't get so defensive about it. Um, you know, that's that's not Twitter's MO. Uh, admitting yeah, I, you're wrong. Again, antithesis of Twitter is. <laughs> Twitter wants you to take everything down to 280 characters. And we're like, give me like four of those thread. Uh, now here's my thoughts, uh, as opposed to they, but, but never with the intent of like, Oh, I'm going to come back to this in six months and retweet it for you to see because I was right or anything like that. Like it, it ain't about that. It's, it's, are you showing up for a passionate fan base and listenership that wants to know what you think and wants to kind of be able to make sure that they're getting multiple pieces of information from multiple different perspectives so that they can build their own, which is really what sports takes are all about. We, we celebrate sports takes because they sort of give us the ammunition to make our own decisions and to think, do I agree with that? Do I disagree with that? And why not just to, you know, we're not attaching ourselves to somebody and saying, well, we're attaching this person because they are always right. It's not really about that. No, my thing is, is ultimately, I want to help a fan be a better fan. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, yeah. that's not forcing my opinion per se on them. It's like, this is how I'm going to present it. I'm going to give you this information, do with it as you will. But as you're looking at something, and that's why I asked the questions I asked when I talked to you guys is I want people to be able to go into a Sunday and say, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. Mm -hmm. And not just watch the game as, you know, as we used to and just, Oh, you're watching the ball move back and forth. No, right. I'm looking for specific things. I'm looking for growth in these areas. And that's, I think that's what makes the experience better as a fan to know and to expect what you're looking for. That's why people love Tony Romo is because mm -hmm. he calls out stuff yeah. and forces you to pay attention to things that maybe you hadn't seen before. All right, let's get into the Saints after five weeks. This is the bye week, of course. And we're going to do some assessments of different areas where you guys think um, where the Saints are, some players as well. Um, so let's start first with that three and two record. Um, Going into the season with the injuries that they had and the record of the schedule that we saw, and Matt, I'll give you first crack, to be three and two at, the, at this point, I don't see how any Saints fan and I don't see how the organization can be disappointed 
to be have a winning record after five weeks. Yeah, I think where you see kind of and I yeah, I agree with you in that we there's really nothing to be complaining about at this point. But for I think the people that are complaining, I, it was more that some people might have seen three two coming, just not the wins and the losses in the way that they were. And so I think, you know, Saints fans got a little panicked in the new era after Drew Brees, not looking, you know, immediately wrapped up in a perfect bow Um but it honestly is exa- working exactly kind of how it's supposed to be. I mean, minus, you know, the injuries and, and people that aren't there that are necessary pieces, but they've known that since training camp, not so much like places like the offensive line, but just, you know, specifically, let's say the wide receivers and to say, you know, they have all of a sudden discovered that there is an issue in week four. It's just, you know, that's where kind of, again, that value of just taking pause and that gets a lot of heat in the moment when people don't want to be rational. They want to, you know, light things on fire after a really, you know, uncharacteristic loss. And that's fair enough. But if you can kind of withstand and at least see like, you know, the next game through, I think that's really important, especially, you know, for something like that early loss that we saw and, and just to see how they correct it and that, you know, Alvin Kamara was being used in a very uncharacteristic way, but all of a sudden it was literally right back to normal usage. It's just that we hadn't been kind of given a game plan to see that by now. So I think we are all seeing for lack of a better term, the value of coaching and just what this organization has been able to do to remain entirely competitive in this new era, even when they're kind of flailing through, you know, into the buy. Yeah. Ross, when you, you look at that and you talk about what the front office did um, and we were worried about the depth of this roster. We knew they had a high in talent, but we didn't know about the middle and the, the, the back end of this roster. But a lot of those people have been thrust into positions where they've had to play. We have to give credit again to the front office, the, ta- the scouts, all those folks in assembling this roster and doing it on a budget. Again, the back end filled out with scraps and they put together a very solid football team. Yeah, look, I think we as a whole, everyone sort of, forgets now because we're far enough away from it that this was also the team this offseason that was a hundred million dollars over the salary cap hundred million dollars they were almost had enough salary cap for another it was team. Taysom Hill's contract like, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord the 140 million dollar mystery um it, you know what I mean like it, it, it was it, it by all intents and purposes being a hundred million dollars over the salary cap by the time the new league year began 28 days away from home because of the displacement that came with hurricane Ida having to play your first home game in Jacksonville, you're down wide receiver one down wide receiver two down defensive tackle one, all of these other pieces that had to walk over the course of the off season, Sheldon Rankins. Uh, you look at the losses for other players like Janoris Jenkins, as well as uh, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, who's having himself a nice time up in uh, Buffalo right now. And I think that, you know, the expectation for this team, was so hard to pin down because I love Maddie's point about the coaching because you immediately looked at the coaching and said, okay, they're going to be better than we expect based upon this X factor, if you will, which is one of the largest factors around team success in the NFL. We just don't talk about it as much because it doesn't take place on the field. It takes place in the classroom, on Zoom, in their meetings, in the team meetings, in the position meetings, and in practice. So we don't see it or have access to it in that same way. But for all intents and purposes, this is a team that should have come out here and stumbled out of the gate. And they didn't stumble out of the gate. They came out and they had a big 38 to three victory against the, you know, near reigning and NFC, I mean, an, an NFC championship team appearance the year 
before with the Green Bay Packers. And then, you know, they sort of performed opposite the way that I anticipated. I thought about them being two and three at this point in the season with losses to with losses where they got the wins and wins where they got their losses so far this season. And so I, I think at this point, you're pleased to see them where they are. They have a lot of question marks, a lot of places where they can improve. Some of it self-corrects with health and return from injury, return from suspension, all of the things that come with it. You know where the biggest glaring misses are so far for this team where they really need to improve, such as the pass rush, where they're second to last in the NFL in sacks and also second to last in the NFL and pass rush win rate, winning only 31% of their reps so far this season. So it's not great on the defensive on the defensive line in terms of generating pressure, but how much does that self-correct when you get these players like David Onyemata, as well as, of course, Marcus Davenport, and even getting Quan Alexander back, how much does that free up the opportunity for Demario Davis to rush more than seven times like he did last week in their win against the Washington football team? So you can see where all the places are where this team needs to get better, and you can almost immediately correlate them to what they're missing on the field right now and can be getting back over the next couple of weeks beyond the bye week. I don't think you get everybody back for Seattle. Michael Thomas might need a little bit more time. Will Lutz will need a little bit more time. David Onyemata is not eligible until week eight. So these players that are eligible doesn't mean that they're going to come back immediately. But as they start to get all of those pieces back in the next three to four weeks, I think that you start to see those things automatically start to correct and this team start to improve where they need to. Matt, um, let me get your thoughts on the coaching staff and how it's changed how their approach has changed. We, we've had a lot of talk from fans, of course, and Sean Payton's approach, both with Alvin Kamara both and, and with Jameis Winston, how he's dealt with them um, and with Taysom Hill. But at the same time, we've seen this offense continue to evolve over the first five weeks and then defensively with guys missing, missing every week and the ability of Dennis Allen to go in there and to create game plans that have been effective, particularly in stopping the run. Um, even without a pass rush, they've done a, a great job in not allowing teams to put up a bunch of points. Coaching staff has done a great job. I mean, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, I almost wonder if, you know, what, what would we be kind of thinking about this offense if if Drew Brees what was there. I think there's this, you know, understandable ex, you know, expectation and, and I think more want for this offense to be so high powered immediately following Drew Brees for there to be no hiccup. And if, if Brees was behind one offensive starter, uh, one offensive line starter in position by the end of a football game with, I mean, and, and we'd seen him fail with those types of receivers um, in the past when they're able to shut them down. And we also saw in games like the Bucks game where they didn't have Taysom Hill and they didn't have Latavius Murray. They didn't have that kind of valve and that blocking and that third down. And that that's what happened. So I feel like we expect, not we, but just, I mean, this has just been a very over-scrutinized offense, I think, you know, for that obvious reason. Whereas, you know, again, it would, if it was Breeze back there to me, it would just be survive till the bye. And that's basically what doing. It's just that people are trying to simultaneously evaluate Jameis Winston's future as the, you know, franchise quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. And that might not exactly be what the Saints are doing at this point in time. And it's not that they're not doing it, but game plan trumps, you know, flashy football uh, mm -hmm. doing, you know, analysis type stuff. It, it, you know, I feel like of all coaches who kind of stubbornly run the point quite literally into people, it, it, that's kind of what we saw in the Patriots game. I think that last game, if, you know, Hill hadn't gone out when he did, 
they might not have, you know, been as frantic in the second half, but you saw them adapt. You saw Jameis Winston get rope and you can just obviously see the coaching immediately already in Winston. And then Chris Richard and what he's been able to do. It's hard to say, you know, how much of there was of Lattimore before this season, but it's also hard to ignore that Chris Richard came in this season Marshawn Lattimore is having the you know career year NFC Defensive Player of the Week. Paulson Adivo, who you know wasn't expected to be a starter and was a developmental prospect, just had a great bounce back game with his second NFL interception and is basically you know play you know Bradley Roby is sitting on the bench. So I, I just think when you look at those two things alone, and you know the fact that despite there being you know a mass exodus along the defensive line, that the coaching staff is still able to even keep it competitive. I think the week two Carolina loss to me showed more about the value of coaching than anything about the team on the field. Absolutely. I think people forget that this is a team that's still scoring 25 points a game. It's, you know, just outside of the top 10 in points, but yeah, they're 28th in yards, but they're getting on the board. The the main goal is to put points on the board and they've been able to do that. Um, And I think that's, Ultimately, what you know, yeah, Sean Payton had to figure some stuff out, and there's an evolutionary process that goes with figuring out what does Jameis like, what plays does he not like, where you know, and like uh, the injuries certainly have impacted play calling and trust with the offensive line and all those things. So, but to be still scoring 25 a game in this league with all that, I, I mean, I, I just don't, I, you can't give a, the, the team. Because it's the coaches, it's the players, all those things of being efficient, not turning the ball over there, plus five in turnover ratio, you know, in turnovers this season. Um, and then, you know, to, for offensively for Jameis to not be turning the ball over, all those things, that's a product of coaching and effort. And the Saints right there, you're three and two with the, the big glut of teams in the NFC who have been in a better position than you have mostly. Yeah, yeah to I, me, Andres Peet should share that interception with, you know, James Winston <laughs> on the stat line. So you really can take that one away from it as well. Is Andres Peet the only person that people universally agree that they just don't like? I'm just saying that he was called out by name for having perhaps the wrong fleets on. So that's, that was something that was stressed the week before explicitly. <laughs> Yeah. And then pointed out the post game. So to me, that's that's I you know I think people like to harp on Andres Pete a little too much when you know sometimes you don't notice him and that's a good thing. That's the point. But, but when you, know, you, when you notice him, that's the problem with Andres Pete is, is he's very obvious when he you know has his downs. But the offensive line is kind of like safety that when they're playing well, you forget about them entirely. But yeah, when they're sure. not playing well, all of a sudden it's oh my god. Anyhow. No, I'm over here trying to figure out how much of it is, you know, what's, what is more iconic? Is it Andrews Pete and the, the hate around Andrews Pete or Aaron Donald out here snatching quarterback fingers because (laughs) they're both as common as they don't, they're both more common than they need to be. Right. Both of them happen (laughs) more than once. And that's, (laughs) but the funny thing is like, when you saw it, the immediate reaction for Saints fans was, that's what Andrews Pete did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, right. he let Aaron Tuttle do that to Drew. And, and, and you know, the thing that we forget too, when we look about this team, yeah, it started three and two last year, right? Mm-hmm. And the year before that, you had the big loss to the Houston Texans on opening night. 
And mm-hmm. Drew Brees did not play well in that game. This is a team that notoriously has had some slow starts and then picks it up as they go on. So, I mean, to me, it's just, you, I don't think you could help but feel like, and as we'll go through this, you can see the areas of him that there's room for improvement. They're not going to be the 31 ranked passing offense all season. That's just not right. going to be the case. They can stay in the top 10 in rushing. They can do that all season. The rushing defense isn't going to get worse, but I think the pass defense certainly will get better, and especially if that pass rush picks up. So the thing that I like most about this team is that even without even without the guys coming back from injury, you have to feel like if these if this group that's on the field today stayed together, that there would still be market improvement over the next seven to ten weeks. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You would see them continue to get into rhythm and all And I think, you know, and, and Maddie referenced this earlier, but familiarity amongst this team is kind of non-existent. Like the most familiar piece in terms of offensive weaponry for Sean Payton has been Alvin Kamara. And you can only do so much with with a running back who starts six yards behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, there's only so much you could do with that guy. And so and, and don't get me wrong, you could do a lot of things with Alvin Kamara. But when he's the only option and he is, as Jameis Winston referred to in the postgame at the end of the Washington football game, he's the he's the primary, he's the guy, defenses are going to clue in on that. And then as you start to get these other guys around, like Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith, all of these other options that all of a sudden draw a little bit more attention, then the opportunities open up for, you know, more things from Alvin Kamara, more things from young Adam Troutman, more things from the tight end position as a whole. I mean, there's just a lot of opportunity there to see how this team, even as it is right now, would continue to improve. And then, of course, we'll see further improvement from the pieces that they're getting back. Let's start with uh, some of the individual players and where they are. You know, we have to start with Jameis Winston because he's the most high profile. His starting quarterback is certainly going to be that person. But following Drew Brees is a makes it even more so um, more scrutiny for him. But I think at this point, you'd have to say he's the best value in the NFL. Five million dollars. You got 12 touchdowns and, and three picks and you got the you know, what's. What's not to like here for Jameis? I mean, he's not making a ton of bad decisions. Every quarterback makes three or four bad decisions a game, but he's not making ones that are too costly. He's shown the ability to run. He's shown leadership. Um, and I think his teammates have fallen behind him uh, in, in, in understanding that he's going to be the guy that runs this offense. So to me, you know, I if you if we were grading, and I hate doing that, but I would say Jameis has, if not met, he's exceeded expectations for a lot of people. I'll say he has for me. I was really looking for, you know, those intangibles that you just talked about, Um, you know, clutch third down play, not looking so panicked in the pocket, like he kind of did in the preseason, uh, knowing, you know, when to just throw it away, like he did in week one, or, you know, just tuck it and run. And I was actually kind of thinking back, you know, uh, that a lot of those plays, you almost would have seen perhaps more sacks if Drew Brees was back there. Cause I think that Winston is actually a lot more mobile than I had anticipated uh, him to me. It might be a survival instinct at this point, but what I've liked his most is his attitude and his, his composure. When you consider how he ended that game and the way that it began, I mean, that would fluster a lot of, you know, starting quarterbacks that have been here in the league for a while and are doing well, but to open, you know, on your fifth passing attempt with an interception and then, you know, a couple, three or so later after a touchdown right after that, then it gets fumbled away. And then, you know, going punt, 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 punt. It, it's at that point for, you know, Winston to still not have gone, you know, wild and tried to just chuck it downfield to no avail, throw across, you know, triple coverage. He didn't do any of that. Um, the worst transgression he had was, you know, 
perhaps not tucking it and running it and just trying to chucking it at Chris Hogan. But if that's the worst thing that I'm kind of critiquing of Jameis Winston, when I think of what my perceptions of him and with the, you know, large, for, I mean, it's not like I, you know, made this narrative up, but it was a 30 for 30 thing, but I've just kind of been looking, you know, not that, because I think a lot of that can be coachable. I think some of it can't be, but I think if there's any coach that can learn how to make it work, it's Sean Payton. But I, I, I wanted to see, you know, those kind of intangibles in Winston and he just keeps converting on third down, fourth down. And, and then this whole Taysom Hill nonsense, anyone would be in there, right. In my opinion. And I know not nonsense, but you know, if it, in terms of a, a chaos, it, it's very chaotic, you know, and it was chaotic when Drew Brees was back there, but you know, the switching in and out when there was just a quarterback battle, psychologically, that's a lot for someone that's coming in and taking over for, especially again, someone like Drew Brees. And then you see, you know, that NFL film clip of Jameis Winston, you know, basically giving a pregame speech to Taysom Hill on the sideline. Like you better run that like twice as hard next time kind of thing. So he, he has really impressed me from just his willingness to take this season, how it's going to be thrown at him. And I think he knows that he's, you know, he might be the hero at the end of this, but he equally likely could be the villain. And that might largely not be his fault. And I think that he's kind of been willing to accept that and, and go with the program. And as long as the program means, you know, the saints are winning and it's not, he's such a team player. It's just so obvious to me that I have to love that. And, and I, you know, I really am intrigued to see how, you know, he kind of rises this season. Ross, one of the things that we talked about earlier today um, is that, you know, you see the smile and you see all the, the love for Jameis and, and the humor and all those things that the, the humility, but what we're starting to see more of as he builds his confidence is that fire that, that, and it doesn't feel false. There were times when you watched him at Tampa Bay and at Florida state where he felt like he was putting on a show and it felt a little disingenuous. Now it seems as if he's reined some of that in, you know, the things that are natural to him, he's a boy from Bessemer, Alabama. I know that part of the country and he's still a country boy from Bessemer. But those things on the field of leadership, of of taking responsibility, there's a maturity there that, quite frankly, that was my biggest concern with Jameis when he arrived in New Orleans two years ago, was I did not like the person that he was at Florida State and with Tampa. I felt like he had, he played a little too entitled. Now, like you said, being humbled, being a first round number one overall pick Heisman Trophy winner, and you get booted by the franchise that drafts you. I think that that is a huge part in it, but he's also just be growing into being a man. Yeah. And this is, I mean, look, this is, this is kind of what happens over the course of the NFL too. I mean, the guy's what, 25, 26 years old. I mean, he's still a young guy, right? He just played against Taylor Heineke, who's 29. And so it's, it is one of those things that comes with the maturity of the NFL and sometimes uh, certain environments foster maturity at a different rate than others. And when you're playing for a franchise who's head coach, has an entire mantra of you have to risk it for the biscuit, it's hard to develop maturity in that environment. Then all of a sudden, when you go to a place that demands maturity of you, that demands accountability, you learn for a year sitting behind not only Drew Brees, but you also sat behind Taysom Hill during that time, who was an undrafted free agent coming into the NFL, took his first NFL snap on a special teams unit. And you're sitting behind him as a former, former first round, first overall selection and Heisman Trophy winner, as you mentioned, coming out of Florida State. That changes the complexion in terms of what you believe you are and what you believe you can be. Now, Jameis took the first right step by saying, I'm going to New Orleans. That was the first right thing that he did 
to get all of this started because he could have gone to Pittsburgh and maybe, you know, made things interesting with Big Ben and his sort of his fall off toward the end of the season and everything. He could have gone to a place like Chicago in, you know, in preparation to take over for Mitch Trubisky or something like that. Now, thankfully he didn't because then he would ended up behind Justin Fields, but you know, I put him in a situation to where he made the right decision to say, I'm going to go where I feel like I can grow. And he did so by going to New Orleans and attending what he called the Harvard School of Quarterbacking, basically working with guys like Sean Payton and Drew Brees and Pete Carmichael at the time, Joe Lombardi, who's now over with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, uh, re- completely reformatting their offense to a very successful rate. And so those are the people that he worked with last year and the people that sort of gave him what, and in the most unique of circumstances. I mean, if it's time for you to learn something new and you need a big time change the the enormous change that the entire nfl had to go through yesterday was probably honestly one of the best situations that could have happened to Jameis winston i'm not talking about the whole obviously everything that happened around it how it all happened was absolutely tragic and is absolutely tragic and still ongoing but the reformation of how the nfl had to communicate and how they had to find new ways to work opens pathways for new ways to reach players opens pathways for new re- new ways to reach one another. And I think that heavily benefited as well, Jameis Winston, because there were no distractions. There was nothing around, not that he had any issues with that before, but there was nothing there for him to not focus on football around. And so he had his only choice being, I'm going to sit here and do what I have to do to get better and be the quarterback that I want to be. And then he gets engaged in this quarterback competition that, you know, Maddie and I were fortunate enough to see up close during training camp. And it was this just absolutely remarkable sense of growth in terms of what you saw from him on the field, off the field, wherever it was that he was, you've seen it and you see it now. A four to one touchdown to interception ratio. Every time somebody brings up Jameis Winston to me and, you know, kind of this comical way, I'm always, you know, happy to have that conversation and and, and whatnot. But I do always ask, did you expect a four to one touchdown to interception ratio? Because that's what you have. So let's talk about what Jameis Winston is, not what you had hoped he would be and has failed to prove you right on. And also just to get really like, Mm -hmm. I just want to say something nerdy really quickly, but like there to me is there is like a legit, you know, neurological development thing that goes on at a certain age and your brain isn't fully developed until you turn 25. And Mm -hmm. mostly that is the frontal lobe, which is decision-making, you know, uh, forefront and and thought it's that is literally, you know, under developed at that point. And, and for guys, it's quite frankly, two years behind until they turn 25, their brains do tend to, you know, mature at a, at a slower rate. So I'm always viewing I can you know, confirm rookies. that fact. I have always knocked off too, but that's how I look at NFL rookies at this point is I'm like, you're mentally, you're, you're kind of, you know, 20 years old. And that's not when I was 20 years old, I was an idiot. I, if you know, even when I was right out of college, you know, there I've I've personally done a lot of growth in this you know time since leaving school, and uh, just you know, again, I, I don't I think that's something that you know people kind of dismiss because it's a little too nerdy, but I think it is really important that you know when they come out of college and when they're in college, you know that that part of the brain, especially when you think of you know maturity and decision making, it's still literally getting there in full. So just want to throw that out there too, that now he is like actually older and like the maturity might not, it not, not like it might not be there for no reason. And, and that he hasn't, you know, shown that he's done everything to work to, you know, earn that. But mm-hmm. 
that there also is, you know, an anatomical thing going on. Oh, absolutely. Well. Absolutely. Just to like take this seriously more so. I, I mean, I think, yeah, I think we all go through those periods and you, you either choose to grow at some point or you just don't. And I think Jameis made the conscious decision, uh, like, like uh, Ross said, of like, I have to be better. And I think that he wanted to be put in a situation where people were going to hold him accountable. They were going to be straight with him. Nobody was going to treat him like a star. And I'm yeah, sure he's, he's been humbled tr- third on the depth chart. <clears throat> so, I mean, he'd been treated like a star probably since, you know, the ninth, 10th grade. So this is a guy who's a two sports star his whole life. So, yeah, I mean, now you help, you are just one of the guys again. And I think yeah. there's some point for yeah. anybody. You see celebrities talk about this all the time. Some At some point, you just want to be equal to everybody again. And, and I think that's what it, it made him one of his teammates. You know, he's not the quarterback. He's Jameis, one of the guys. And I think that that was really important in him establishing those relationships with these guys this year because they're all new. And he doesn't have anything over them to say, this is how we used to do this here. They're all learning it together. And I think that that's a really big thing for them to connect with. Um, let's yeah. go on to uh, to Alvin Kamara. And this year he's been used, like we said, in a lot of ways that maybe we hadn't been familiar with him before. Less pass catching than we'd seen in the past. More power rushes, uh, you know, and utilizing him. More carries per game. Um, but it's been effective in helping the Saints control the clock. Um for Alvin, and again, I, uh, you have to appreciate this thing within the Saints organization. No complaint, no, you know, asking, no saying this is how I expect to be used. He's going out there every week, done it. Well, if we you have- do, you're Brandon Cooks and you get shipped off. <laughs> Close <laughs> mouths don't get fed, y'all. Close but, mouths I mean, but Alvin Kamara is the fed one next guy week. who could say it. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody yeah, would grudge Alvin Kamara if he came out right. and said, I don't like the way I'm being used because there's no, again, you look at him and he's, now he is Mr. Saint in a lot of ways. He's the mm-hmm. guy who is the embodiment of the franchise, at least on the offensive side. So people are going to, you know, will gladly fawn for Alvin. If he said, if he had said one thing critical, I think it would have spread like wildfire. But he's been a, a, a teammate and a team player in all this. Yeah, yeah. I think, that, again, they also are all, you know, more in on it than we are in the sense that, you know, they're it, when you learn afterwards, you know, what, what the game plan really was. And then you see again, you know, I think this week was a very good lesson in maybe especially and a, and a personal lesson for me too, to just kind of like wait out the first five weeks of the season and just see how things are next week when the team's still adjusting early on. And I, I feel like Alvin Kamara is, you know, the kind of personification of that where, you know, you, you kind of saw, it was almost like, you know, the Seahawks game when Drew Brees went down in 2019 with Teddy Bridgewater, where Alvin Kamara just suddenly became, you know, an every down back. And it was a little odd, but it really worked in that game. And it was so exciting, but it wasn't as exciting in New England. Uh, and was it New England? No, it was the Giants game. I'm, uh, yeah. But I mean, there, there's a lot of things that we lost that game. Alvin Kamara, you know, his usage wasn't it, in my opinion, but then again, you saw just the next week him go exactly right back to where he was before. And he's actually got the most receiving yard since, you know, the 49ers game of, of last season. So mm-hmm. he got involved right, right away. And I, I don't want him back there on returning punts. I, I it's just not <laughs> something that I want to see ever again, don't uh, because there is I, the depth chart is a legit, literally a huge question mark there now, but he, he's just so valuable and so dynamic and, you know, to basically 
lead the team as, you know, a running team one week and then the passing game next week. And it's all because of how they use Alvin Kamara. It's kind of incredible. Ross, he has to be the offensive MVP at this point to me, just because he's done it behind this makeshift line. He's made uh, Jameis's life easier. And I will say this, Alvin Kamara is not a great pass blocker yet, but he is better than he was a year ago. Oh yeah. He's definitely improved in he's that. Willing. If nothing else, he's willing. Exactly. He's willing to do it. And and a lot of times it's all it takes. Can you get in the way? Can you get in the way? Um, I think you look at Alvin Kamara, 37% of his rushes are coming on either side of the center. So right up the middle so far this season, just under 50% of his yards have come from those two spots as well, either to the left of the center or the right of the center. Mind you, that is effectively a third string center that's in right now at Cesar Ruiz because the immediate backup to Eric McCoy was Will Clapp. But because Will Clapp was on injured reserve when he's, excuse me, when Eric McCoy got hurt, she's Ruiz shifted over. So not only is he running behind effectively a third string center, but when he's running to that sort of middle right, he's also running behind a second string right guard. So he's running in between the tackles a lot more, not even between the tackles, between the guards a lot more this season. And he's making it work. And he's been very productive there. 4.6 yards. In, in between those ta- or in between those guards, he's doing. I'm sorry, on average between those two guards, and and it's outstanding because you're also seeing more than a third of his carries come up there as well. So it's not a volume versus you know big you know run or anything at this point. It is simply that they're productive there, and he's been doing a fantastic job there. And then him getting involved in the passing game, over 120 total yards uh, last year, over 150 yards running up the middle so far this season. I mean, the guy is just one of those players that you can effectively ask him to do whatever it is that you need him to do. Not only is he willing to do it, he's hankering to do it. Like he's ready to do it, right? He still wants to throw a pass. He's still willing to go out there and return kicks and everything. He said that the hardest he ever got hit in his pro career was on that punt return where he got absolutely leveled coming off of it. Didn't see uh, the 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 backside uh, player coming off of that one or the front side player coming off of that one. Uh, he's willing to do whatever. And he's absolutely your offensive MVP because he's really your only reliable option beyond in, in terms of where the ball goes second right? The ball goes into Jameis Winston's hands every single play, and he's been very reliable for you there. But where distribute the ball after that? Alvin Kamara is your only reliable or your most reliable option so far this season. Man, I just yes. think it's crazy to just to watch his how he uses his flexibility now mm-hmm. and, and the way he moves his body, just you know, now to kind of move between, you know, tackles actually, you know, uh, behind the line of scrimmage, not around the corner, just to throw that out there. It's crazy yeah. to watch. Man, the one of the areas that I think the only area that we, that you kind of look at and say there is no reinforcement coming is tight end. You got mm-hmm. a second year tight end in Adam Troutman, and you've got a converted tight end on the other side, Juwan Johnson. And I don't know if the two of them together make enough of a tight end for the Saints yet. Are how how's your feeling about the tight end position at this point? Yeah, I I mean, I feel like we're, you know, Adam Trotman was kind of put on a silver platter this offseason. There really wasn't much to go off of. And so it was a little confusing what to expect from him kind of coming into this season. Uh, And then he didn't really produce. Yeah, I mean, not only did he not produce, he dropped a lot of balls. It wasn't just that, you know, he's Chris Hogan who suddenly become a ghost. It's that, you know, he, he was frequently dropping targets and that was really disappointing. And at the same time, though, I don't think that the plan was to, you know, have the receiving group be the way that it is. So I just think that that also makes a difference. And in terms of what you should, you know, be able to reasonably expect, 
at that tight end position. You know, I don't think the idea with Trotman was necessarily to have him be, you know, all of a sudden the second look in, in most of these situations, because there is no Michael Thomas, there is no Traquan Smith at that point, him behind, you know, the, the tight end plays are very specific to me, but now it's, you know, who's open kind of thing. So I also think there's been a lot put on that role than perhaps it was ready to take on. So I'm curious to see if they're able to, you know, kind of make incremental growths again, once there's something else going around, uh, around them. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's one position to me where if it doesn't improve this year, it has to finally be addressed, you know, in, in a, way to me that they it's kind of been almost with that receiver you know quick valve change on it getting the you know benjamin watson uh jared Cook kind of aging out tight ends I, I at the same time now we're watching cultivate one on the other side and here i am saying after one season but it, it yeah i think that it's another wait and see for me only because again i don't think that you know the idea was to have adam trotman grow into what he was um you know being around Deontay Harris for a quarter, Taysom Hill for whenever, Marquez Callaway and Kenny Stills, just still so bizarre to me. So I'm waiting and yeah. seeing, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, totally impressed so far. Does that role change for them going forward in the season as the other guys come back, Ross, when, when Michael Thomas gets back, when Traquan is back, all these things, what, then how do you use the tight ends? Neither yeah. one of them is a is a great blocker. They're they have, like I said they have, they've been inconsistent with their pass catching. There has to be some adjustment that's going to take place. Yeah, and I think even more directly than the you know return of guys like Michael Thomas and and Traquan Smith, I think the return of Nick Vanett actually makes a big yeah. difference in terms of the usage of these tight ends as well. I mean, Adam Troutman has been on the field for 212 snaps so far this yeah. season. He's run only 75 routes. Like it's not just the fact that he's, you know, and, and when he runs those routes, he's not necessarily getting open, right? Because he's also being targeted. He's only been targeted nine times, but his, you know, his deepest depth of target has been around 20 yards. And so I think that when you look at where it is that he's getting targeted, which is only between 10 and 20 yards, he has no targets more than 20 yards downfield, which was sort of the big play tight end that we expected, the Jimmy Graham-like situations where he could carry down the seam. He's also just not running a lot of those routes. So I think his availability to be present in the passing game as a pass catcher, which is what a lot of people are waiting for when it comes to Adam Troutman, becomes more available to him when there are when there is a more experienced blocker that's available to be back there as the sixth, you know, offensive lineman or the chip and go guy while he runs a clean route from the slot, things like that. I mean, the the usage for him has been almost entirely in line in terms of where he's been and where he's running his routes from. Whereas I think for the New Orleans Saints, one of the things that they would love to do is get him more involved as somebody that they can move out to the slot, somebody they can move out at wide and treat him more as a split end as opposed to traditional, like true Y. And I think Nick Vanden is the one that gives you the opportunity there to be able to vary up the way that you're utilizing Adam Troutman so he can be more in concert with guys like Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith, Marquez Calloway, and Juwan Johnson as a receiver, as opposed to sitting back and being a majority pass blocker, which is what he's been so far this season. I totally forgot about Nick Fanette, honestly, until you just cued my brain back in. And that all of that after that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a thing. It's one of those things, right? Like he wasn't there to start the season for them. Like yeah, he hasn't been available either. So it, <clears throat> yeah. it's just totally blipped off the radar. Yeah. It, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that it, it's an example of how important 
every player is to a New Orleans Saints roster. Every player has a specific role that's built specifically to bolster them, to bolster that player. It's not like the New England Patriots where you walk in and you're handed a binder and you're like, this is your RB3 rule book, right? It's a little bit more about crafting for that particular player. And my suspicion at this point, and I could be completely wrong, but my suspicion at this time is that the original plan for Adam Troutman that was built for him in terms of the vision to bolster what it is that he could do and how he can be most impactful to this offense hasn't been entirely available to him yet at this point because of the injuries, not only at the tight end spot, but also around the rest of the offense. When we go to the defensive side, before the season, we would have thought the secondary would have been the biggest issue, even though you have three standouts in your secondary and Marcus Williams and um, Malcolm Jenkins and Marshawn Lattimore, but we, we were so worried about the secondary and yet it's really been even injuries considered the defensive line has been the bigger, more pressing issue. They've been good at stopping the run, but that pass rush has been, like you said, almost non-existent. How does that get better even without the additions of David Onyemata, et cetera, and all those folks coming back from injury. How does this line get better at rushing the passer? I think, I think, I think <laughs> a good, a good, a good way to look at it in terms of how they begin to improve beyond or before the, before David Onyemata returns. I think that David Onyemata and Marcus Davenport being available for this team and now Christian Ringo returning to this roster, those are probably the most important. Those are the things yeah. that are going to bring the most uh, improvement right away. But I think if you're able to, and the Saints are getting a lot more comfortable with Pete Werner, you have, you know, Quan Alexander set to return at some point within the near future. I think getting that second level and the help from the second level makes a big difference too, because if one of them is able to show the sideline to sideline ability that we've seen so far, it frees up the other one to have some more kind of exotic roles as a pass rusher in concert with guys like CJ Gardner Johnson, who they love using in the blitz game. Same thing for PJ Williams and Malcolm Jenkins. They love using them in the, in the blitz game. So if you're able to start to get a little bit more exotic to saints, I look at like their third down habit is three down linemen, two linebackers in the middle, and then a safety or a DB on either side. And then out of those seven, three will drop, four will rush, two will drop, five will rush. They'll kind of take it from, you know, all kinds of different areas and it'll look different every, it'll look the same, but then end up in a different pass rush result for the offensive line to deal with throughout the game. I'll be curious to see if we start to see something uncharacteristic for New Orleans as they like to set up these tendencies and then break them late in the season. And we start seeing them overload one side of the offensive line or the other, sort of like what we saw Carolina do to them in week two. And I think that those are the ways that you could do it is manufacturing the additional pressure to help out the defensive line until you get those other pieces back. Once you get those other pieces back right now, the Saints, three defenders on the edge right now, Carl Granderson, Cam Jordan, as well as Peyton Turner, in week five were three of the five most double teamed players in the entire NFL. Unfortunately, they were three of the bottom five in terms of pass rush win rate as well at 10 or below 10%. And a lot of that goes away when you have a guy like David Onyemata, because if you put those double teams on those players on the outside, David Onyemata gives you a really fantastic pass rushing option on the interior. You have uh, Marcus Davenport back, your NASCAR packages are a lot more efficient and a lot more effective where you can put out three defensive linemen, or excuse me, three edge rushers, but put one into the interior along with Onyemata. So I think that really 
it's going to be tough to improve until you get those pieces back and the pieces coming back will be the most market improvement that comes from it. But there might be ways to manufacture pressure over the course of the bye week that are adjustments from what precedent and tendencies you've set over the first five games that can help you get there until then. And I think an important thing too about those uh, numbers that came out about those double teams is it's not so much to kind of, I feel like a lot of people, they want to see sacks. And so, you know, Cam Jordan hasn't had sacks and that's very upsetting. And should he have, you know, more production at this point? It's definitely a conversation. Absolutely. But with me, what that kind of, you know, stat says is so much to me also about game planning on the other side of the ball and what Mm -hmm. they see as a clear weakness. And, and the quick way, it's the same thing with kind of shutting down Michael Thomas and then the defense kind of telling you that they don't really, you know, respect the rest of your receiving court that much. They're willing to kind of let them run around to me. It's kind of the same way with the saints defensive ends right now is we're just going to lock up the edges. And I mean, from, from, you know, what, what we've seen so far, they can't make it work up the interior. So I think that, that, you know, it's not so much to say, why aren't they getting production, but it's just that, you know, other teams are seeing that that's very, you know, that that's their game plan. And so they're now having to work against what to me seems very deliberate, but I think you're also onto something there because I always just, I, I, the the Zach Vaughn drafting just remains kind of curious to me. I know players don't pan out, but there was a vision for him Mm -hmm. and it was kind of that blitzing edge role. And just because it didn't work out with that player, to me, the vision is still just as important. And a lot of the time, you know, when they draft with that specific vision in mind, it just might be someone else that ends up filling it. And that's where I've kind of been curious to see if we'd see more of that as well, especially with, you know, the amount of linebackers they have that are at this point, you know, competitive. I think they just needed a legit Pete Werner type guy who at this point has shown that, you know, I, I, unless he shows me otherwise at this point, I'm willing to think that he's consistent and reliable and he might not be the biggest playmaker, but he's trustworthy. And mm-hmm. that's that, that I think that was a little surprising to some, um, you know, myself to an extent, just kind of how trustworthy, but it, I, I am curious to see kind of what they do or if they just kind of wait this out, just kind of like they kept Cesar Ruiz at center, even though it was kind of like, okay, this isn't really working that well, but it's working well enough. And we're kind of just, mm-hmm. you know, rather than switching everything around again, just kind of biding the time and trying to win versus, you know, using the game plan and more of the mental game rather than the, the physical pieces that we have. So it's hard. It's really hard to say at this point. I think this is just like a master chess game that the Saints are kind of putting on this season, if nothing else. Something I'm interested in is once the linebackers are back, once Quan is back and all this, can they, you know, do they utilize Quan maybe in some down, you know, and, and have him, Pete, and um, Demario all on the field at the same time and allow Quan just to rush and, and do those things. That that flexibility from that linebacker core, like you said, knowing that Werner can make those plays sideline to sideline, which the Saints need with Demario Davis. Is, that was why they like Quan so much was that he could run sideline to sideline. To have three of those guys now on that linebacking core, you know, I think that is another way to help generate some pass rush at times because that's where your speed is. Yeah. And you can utilize Caden Ellis in there too. Caden yeah. Ellis has been a phenomenal, well, let me not say phenomenal. Let me not get, let me not get too much credit, but he's, he's been, yeah, he's had phenomenal moments. I think I'll say it that way as a pass rusher from the same linebacker position. We know the Saints don't usually use three linebackers, but when they have so far this season, they tend to send one of them mm-hmm. and they tend to bring pressure with five. And that's one of the reasons why they're there. And um, excuse me, uh, Caden Ellis has been pretty 
good and reliable in those situations. I mean, he was the one that, you know, put the pressure on Mac Jones to, yeah. on, on his first interception. He put a lot of pressure uh, in week uh, in week three up against the, or I guess that was that same game, sorry, yeah. week four up against uh, Daniel Jones as well. I mean, he had some pressures there. So I think you you can utilize all of these He's linebackers. kind of the Zach Bond. Yeah, right. In, 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 in any number of ways to keep that sort of variety coming so you don't know where the pressure is coming from. Um, who would be the defensive MVP at this point? Is it Marshawn or is it DeMario? Marshawn for me. Oh, it's Marshawn. Really. And, yeah. and I love it's, DeMario Davis, but yeah. I mean, come on. With the cast, he single-handedly <laughs> won the game for the Saints. They threw at him three times and he, batted, he deflected all, all three of them. Like that's right. and multiple third down stops, like clutch play from a cornerback that the Saints have locked up on a long-term extension. Like do you... I, if you are a newer Saints fan, again, I always lull because I'm, you know, I'm so old and over the ages, but <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's somewhat incredible to think, you know, if you told 2014, 15 me that, you know, Marshawn Lattimore would be the future of the Saints secondary and everything would be okay, even with the cast on, it's, it's kind of hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. And in an off season and with an off season arrest that we expected was going to have some, you know, lingering impact. And, and to be fair, there was still a game that the Saints had to play without Marshawn Lattimore regardless, because he yeah. wasn't available for that week two game with the injury when he had to get the surgery uh, with the, with the chip thumb, with the chip bone in his thumb. Um, look, I mean, he got Marshawn, surgery in week two. I, that, right. I'm sorry. Right. That, that was bad. It was bad yeah. for week three. You know, so, right. Yeah. He, he right now leads the league in uh, forcing completion percentage by a wide margin, by a wide margin. Like the distance between him and number two is about the distance between number two. And I think it's like number nine. So, I mean, he is wow. pretty, he has been extraordinarily productive regardless of, you know, the number of pass breaks he has, which, you know, he tied a season high since 2017, where we saw that the, the record of course belongs to Lito Shepard. If anybody's willing to go, go back to the year 2000 with me. Philadelphia uh, eight, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Eight pass breakups up against the uh, Dallas Cowboys also in a week five game in that one. Uh, but I mean, Marshawn Lattimore has been absolutely outstanding and the, you know, it, it, I kind of get curious about if he didn't have the cast on his hand, how many of those pass breakups he could have converted to interceptions. Yeah, I, I know. I know he's really frustrated about that. He wants the cast off as soon as possible because he wants he wants those picks. You think about the pass breakup he had in the end zone uh, on Ricky Seals Jones, the first drive after the uh, the interception for uh, the Washington football team, and he might have been able to take that one away had it not been for the cast. And so I think that's the other area that you look at him like he's playing extremely well, but believe it or not, there's a world in which he improves and actually gets better here throughout the season. And if he maintains this level of play and then is able to add the takeaways, although maybe the cast is the good luck, I don't know. Uh, but it's been it's been really, really fantastic so far. And he's been outstanding this season. He was targeted nine times on 83 defensive snaps. That's a long time to be on the football field in, uh, in, in week five. That's a very long time to be out there. And so very distorted you, time of perception. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. And you think about the fact that over the course of 83 snaps, he was only targeted nine times and he only allowed two catches during that time. I mean, it, it was a remarkable game from him that just solidified the fantastic season that he's already having. 
it was something that he needed to redeem himself in, in a lot of people's eyes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about, you know, the offseason stuff. Most unfortunately, the world we live in, look, you know, people they worried about whether you get arrested. It's how you play on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, we were worried. I mean, you know, you yeah. maybe he had peaked already that he had decided that it wasn't something that he was passionate about almost. But this year he has played with vigor and zeal and all other words that you want to throw out there. I mean, he's been a leader and that was yeah. something that's different from Marshawn because he's very, yeah. most corners are isolated by nature and right. he has been a leader on the defense this year. And I, that's surprising to me. Yeah. And we talked about before the season began, like, okay, maybe it's the contract that becomes the motivation. He's already got the money and yeah. he's still out there performing the way that he's performing. And so, uh, you know, I think that's something that we don't celebrate enough around the New Orleans Saints. Michael Thomas gets a contract extension. He goes out there and breaks a record for most single season receptions. Alvin Kamara gets a, uh, gets a contract extension. He goes out there and has a phenomenal season, goes 500 and 500 yet again, and then has this, you know, double digit touchdown year. Marshawn Lattimore gets a contract extension. Here he is having the season that he's having so far. There's something about Demario New Davis, Orleans Saints. Yes. His. Oh yeah, absolutely. Demario Davis. <laughs> Davis. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, uh, Marshawn is my Demario Davis of last season, kind yeah. of just being at that star power on defense. Yeah. And it's, it's a remarkable thing to watch because you're seeing something unique in New Orleans, right? Ryan Ramchek got his contract extension. We'll see if he improves a little bit with his play once the entire offensive line as a unit is back and we see him, you know, get back to where he, he usually is, which I expect that he will, but there's something unique about, you know, that idea that, you know, you get the money and then all of a sudden you're not playing up to par anymore. That doesn't seem to be the rhythm in New Orleans. Part of me almost wonders if he kind of wanted the contract early for like that reason. Completely possible to say, I want to just, you know, put it all to rest, you know, pay Mm -hmm. me and then let let me let it speak for itself kind of thing. One of the things too, for me is that when the saints give people contracts, it's because they want them. You know, it's not they, they are rarely pushed into the situation where they sign people because, well, we have to sign this guy. They don't do that. So yeah. when they do give people big money, they are making a statement to that player. I want you to be here. We expect you to be here for the duration of this contract. You are a key part of this this team. And I think that is one of those things that is unique about New Orleans and why players around the league say, I want to play in that city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. And I, I think we can add Marcus Williams to the list too, right? He got yes, franchise he tagged and now he's having a great season right now as well. I mean, it, it comes down to drafting, I think. I mean, we've always been able to credit this team for how well they scout. Um, Maddie, you brought that up earlier as well. Uh, I just think that like that's a really great opportunity to really inspect what it is that New Orleans does. It's different. It's a lot of homegrown talent. I mean, no one out there week one with, you know, taking a look at you know, all of the starters on the offensive line at that time that was uh, that were out on the field and every one of them was drafted by the New Orleans Saints, except for Ty Montgomery, or they were an undrafted free agent that was signed by the New Orleans Saints. Like they started in New Orleans. And I think that that's, that's something that's really unique about what happens in the city. The last person we need to talk about is who also had to replace a legend, you know, Thomas Morstead, one of the most beloved Saints exactly. ever. <laughs> And now you bring in Blake Gilligan and the dude's leg is robotic. Um, the Saints have this long history of really solid punters, and he has stepped into that role um, effortlessly, got robbed of being special teams player of the week, uh, but another great find by the Saints. 
I, I will say Blake Gilkin put the leg in legend on Sunday and that, that was the best. <laughs> that was the most fun part of the game to me, honestly, was was Blake Gilligan. I, I yeah. could have watched him drop punts like that all day long. Just- yeah, he was absolutely remarkable. And I know I know we oftentimes don't give punters special teams right. player of the week. It usually goes to like the coverage guys. The it goes to the guys. kicker, the returners, like it goes to them. But this was, this was the exception that should have happened. I mean, you're talking about a guy that punted a ball 60 yards and put it out in a coffin corner at the one and then followed that up with a, another 53 plus yard that went out three. And then in the fourth quarter, after he's already punted four times and handled a couple of kickoffs as well, goes out there and hits another 53 plus yarder that goes out at the two. And then in each of those three possessions that the Washington football team started at their one, three and two, they went three and out. When the Washington football team started this game in the first quarter, their average starting field position was their own 49 yard line midfield because of the turnovers. Blake Gilligan single-handedly, excuse me, single-footedly changed <laughs> that changed that entire dynamic for the Washington football team to the point where at the end of the game, their starting field position was their own 28. I mean, he backed them up half a field, or excuse me, a quarter of a field at that point, all on his own. I mean, Just the remarkable. amount of times you saw them in the end zone trying to mm-hmm. operate. And, and it was the situationally clutch play that was so awesome. It's like, you know, yeah. the intangibles you're trying to evaluate in a quarterback I found them in Blake yeah. Gilligan. Here he is in the fourth quarter coming in clutch, you know, and, and it's kind of what you, you look for in kickers and, and what I, it's wild that we haven't even, you know, touched on that, but it's so obviously, you know, uh, good <laughs> Lord, just the where's Will Lutz. And, and I, I, I'm not trying to yeah, Will Lutz ain't here every single week. Yeah. yeah but it, it, that kind of, you know, mental fortitude, you don't always see in punchers and, and you saw it in Thomas Morstead and that's why he was so good. And that's why we all love him as a punter so much. And, and to see that so early on from Blake Gilligan, when, you know, that, I think that cut did cut a lot of, you know, New Orleans fans a bit deep this off season. So it's just been awesome to see him, you know, like immediately back that up in spades, have Thomas Morstead out there rooting for him, have everyone on Twitter getting mad that he's not special teams player of the week. Cause he, he should be, I mean, it's just absolutely only, uh, only in New Orleans. Only in New Orleans. Yeah, and then the Marshawn Lattimore story, finally right? wins. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, like defensive the player story. and then the punter. <laughs> That's a credit to the fans, though, too, right. is that the fans understand mm-hmm. how important that part of the game is. And I think in New Orleans, you've kind of been conditioned to understand special teams being so important because the Saints have always been a team that has thrived on in that area. But when you see your punter be a weapon. Not just a guy who flipped, you know, who yeah. has to take it on fourth down. He is literally a weapon in flipping the field for you. And when your offense is dead in the water, he's giving you life. By he's the X factor. That's that's something that most teams just don't have. You punt it and you yeah. say, hey, they're going to start at the 25. Let's right. play defense. No, he's putting them, like you said, inside the five and forcing a team that maybe not, can't. It's, it's hard for anybody to put together 70, 80 yard drives consistently. And he's making them go 98. So yeah, Blake Gilkin is a 12th man. That's, that's right. what it is. <laughs> right. It's, it's incredible. I mean, what he did three fifty three plus yard punts inside the three hasn't been done for 21 years in the NFL. That happened in again, the year 2000. It was, it, it was remarkable, remarkable to watch. And, and you're right. I mean, you, you talk about the, the pressure that Blake Gilligan also has in replacing Thomas Morstead. Like how many other NFL franchises gave their punters an exit 
press conference, an exit presser. <laughs> you know what I mean? The answer is none. The answer is zero. Like it's, it, it's, it was something unique to New Orleans and, and Thomas Morstead and a credit to the fan base, a credit to the organization for understanding the importance of Thomas Morstead within the community to honor him and give him that opportunity to be able to speak to the media and therefore speak to the fans before he left. And then Blake Gillikins kind of walking in off of injured reserve with a hangnail kind of going, okay, I guess it's my turn now. Uh, and I have to step into these shoes and he had a punter battle as well. Yeah. With yeah. Nolan Cooney. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's yeah, just true. You look at this. Dualities here. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> you know, so you come off the bye, the Saints will be, it'll be week uh, seven. Obviously, they'll be playing Seattle. That's the one third mark, essentially, of the season. To if, if they can pull this off again, no Russell Wilson, which in and of itself changes. I mean, that changes so. everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. And Every, no disrespect to Geno Smith, but it's Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, last time he played the Saints, threw 400 yards and ran all over the place. So, yeah, it's it's a huge difference to have Geno Smith back there. And then especially when you're going on the road to Seattle and you don't have to face Russell Wilson, this is a team that can come back from Seattle 4-2 and two and still have the majority of its home games still on its slate, will be getting healthier. Man, I – one third in, you you, you got to feel good. I mean, it still feels like a double digit win team, a team that will be maybe 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 won't catch Tampa, but who knows? I'm not still sold on Tampa yet as being perfect. I don't think that they're a perfect team, but you, you just got to get a split with them, and of course, mm-hmm. you get that other win with Carolina. You can take Atlanta seems again winnable games in the division. You have a chance to go four and two in the division, possibly be a double digit win team and be in the playoffs. If somebody told you before the season that's where the Saints would be, you take it in a heartbeat. Yeah. That's right. Just to say, like, I think if you had to ask me, you know, the, the whole thing was that, you know, the Bucs had such a good team and then they just kind of needed that that right quarterback. Well, now you're seeing the quarterback with that entire team, you know, be competitive on when my opinion is a better team and they have Tom Brady, but the Saints are a better football team top to bottom for me, you know, in, in terms of just – the way that every position has been handled and coached and, and everything like that. I mean, that's how you see them be able to kind of sustain through this, this changing of the hand at quarterback. Cause I mean, it, it, Mac Jones is starting this year, but the turnover from Tom Brady started last year. And I mean, Cam Newton wasn't really in the best position to succeed, but he also, it wasn't very pretty either. And so that that's really, you know, what I think the, the norm is and not, you know, well, I can't wait to see, you know, once half of the starting players come back, you know, how good this team is when they're already doing quite well as is. Um, and I'm just, I'm really curious this matchup specifically, you know, with, with the secondary that, that Seattle is having and, and, you know, the way that I've seen the saints very carefully construct game plans based on opponents this week. I, I'm just, I, if there was a week that Winston would get a little more unleashed, it wouldn't surprise me if, the training wheels come off a little more against Seattle's secondary that at this point, you know, they, they were probably gonna be like yelling to Chris Richard from the other side of the sideline asking for, you know, what's the price at this point kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, Jamal Adams is a guy who's not really great in coverage. They don't really have outstanding corners. And we've seen the last couple of weeks, Marquez Callaway is finally starting to assert himself somewhat. He's not a wide receiver one. We, we figured that out. He's not a wide receiver one at this point, but he's starting to assert himself. He's made some big plays in each of the last two games. You're starting to see more development out of these guys. And, and like I said, more trust from Sean Payton. 
and you're still putting up 25 points a game, this is a team that can end the season with a top 10 defense and a top 10 offense. And that doesn't seem out of the realm. And if you're that, you're a playoff team. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It, just wild that it, it's happening so chaotically and, and yet performing so well that I kind of think that's where New Orleans fits best is, is somewhat in a, in a state of chaos and, and kind of making other people join that chaos with them. They're able to outperform. The Saints yeah, are Jackson I, Pollock painting. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Jackson Pollock is just a bunch of shit thrown at a wall right now. But it looks good when it's done. And, hey, it's, it's working out. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're going to head up to Seattle, and it's not going to be an easy game. No game in Seattle is easy. No. But that's the 32nd-ranked defense right now in the NFL. Seattle is. That's that's what we're talking about. Seattle being they give it up 30, over three hundred yards. The, a game Seattle the is yeah. is like the New Orleans Saints step sister at this point of the past kind of thing. Like yeah. if they had Russell Wilson, well, when, right? Know. Yeah, they're but the in quarterback a having to win it all for them, and the yeah. defense just flailing. Yeah, they're in a situation right now to where they are where the Dallas Cowboys were at the beginning of last season, to where they were a, a team that was on pace to. Um, you know, be historic in terms of how bad their defense is. And I think, I think you're absolutely right, Maddie, that, you know, we saw kind of things start to open up a little bit in terms of Jameis Winston's decision-making, allowing him to make some more calculated risks against the New York Giants. And then we saw that coupled with an increase in the volume getting up to 30 passes attempted against the Washington football team. Now you get a bye week to prep. Hopefully some pieces to the offense are coming back in Seattle to a point where they can be impactful. And then you're going up against a 32nd ranked defense with a uh, Jamal Adams that's not being used uh, appropriately. I mean, you look at what, what it was that made Jamal Adams special last year. He was a pass rusher. He had nine and a half sacks last year. He's not a coverage guy. He's never, he never really was. I mean, he was always that piece that, 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 I mean, not to compare it to another LSU guy, but he was always that, that honey badger Tyron Matthew type that you could move all around the defense, but that you never wanted to pigeonhole into any one specific place. And they're trying to pigeonhole him somewhere. More Palomalu right, type, right. Yeah, that, that right. physical presence, you go do stuff. Yeah. Just go right. do stuff. And it's not really, he's not, yeah, he's not a coverage guy. Um, I would love to do this again at the uh, 12 week mark to have all three yeah. of us do this again. Yeah. Because this this has been fantastic. I've enjoyed this immensely, and and you know, of course, Maddie, you'll be back on the show. Or Crunch Time and Ross is there every Wednesday. But this was fun for me, and 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 uh, I can't wait to do this again. You guys in? I got you both. Absolutely. Can't yeah. wait to see how our hot takes fillet about by then. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said uh, week twelve earlier in the right. talk to me then. You're the patrol. <laughs> You are now the patrol, <laughs> yeah. right? So right. you are an official, unofficial member. I'm gonna have to get you something. I gotta get you some gear, Maddie. Now, so because you're in the crew, so I gotta get you some gear from the show. Give me a bald cap. There you go. No, we, we, don't, want, no, we, don't, we don't want that. We don't want that. You don't have to join okay. us. You don't have to join us that much. <laughs> I do. I do want to say though that like it's it's meaningful. Like this is meaningful to me to be here with both of you, um, Grub. You and I have always shared our appreciation for one another. Um, you know, listeners have heard it, <laughs> you know, we've, we've, we've subjected, subjected a lot of people to it, but you know, we've been, we, we have been in connection and, and working together 
for years now, honestly, actually, you know, going back to, you know, your previous radio gig, the time in between your current radio gig, we even took don't patrol over to locked on saints for a second too. like, you know what I mean? Like we, we've always been there to do that. And then, so now, you know, we get to be a part of, by the way, Louisiana's, uh, uh, number one podcast, number one sports podcast right here with, with hard in the paint. So shout out to, shout out to TG for that. Uh, but like to have this symmetry continue in the way that it has, whether it be every Wednesday here or every Wednesday on the show, everything, it, it, it's an incredible gift. Um, and Maddie, you know, Maddie and I's trajectory, I, I feel cosmically connected to Maddie in, in a really specific way because it's like everything that we're, we're doing together, we're doing for the first time we're doing together, right? Like we were at training camp together. We were at, you know, credential for the game together for the first time doing that and everything. And so it's a special opportunity to be able to actually like have both of you in my space and for me to be in your space all simultaneously at the, you know, at the same time, it, it's something really special. So uh, Grub, thanks for putting this together. Um, and, and Maddie, thanks for joining us because this has been, this has been a special, however long it's been, I don't even care. I don't even know, but, um, it's been really special. So thank you. Yeah. We're so happy to have you, man. Yeah. Well, I was, I was saying my mom, you know, it like Ross and I kind of going through all of that, you know, everyone's kind of been around there before, but, you know, just kind of to have that moment of momentary excitement mm-hmm. and, and like kind of having someone that feels the same way to just kind of look at has been so invaluable, but just meeting people like yourself around along the way. I mean, no, Dave and I were just talking before the podcast, but, you know, we just connected a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, we already have such a rapport. And it was the same thing with you. I mean, you know, we met in the pandemic over Zoom uh, right. talking about reality television shows. And would you look at where we've come now? So, yeah, to, to have, you know, such a enjoyable and, and great, you know, meeting of the minds was just honestly, it was just a great experience all around for so many reasons. Yeah. I, I told Ross, I said, after, I said you know, because I always ask him, I said, like, you know, I don't want to have you on all the time too much. And I don't want to overburden you. Tell me people who are hot. Tell me people who I need to talk to. He's like, you got to talk to Matt. You got to talk to Matt. And I said, OK, I'll talk to Maddie. And I brought you on. And, and like I said, from, we had not had a conversation. <laughs> All we had, yeah. had was texts through Twitter. And first conversation, we get 20 minutes in and it just worked. And, and it's just I've been for, so fortunate to be able to connect with people in that manner um, and find people who I vibe with and who just get it, who just who, who have the same vision, the same purpose in doing this. It's bigger than we didn't get in. None of us got in for the money. <laughs> it ain't that. Yeah. But, you know, it's just I, I love the fact that whatever I do, if I can touch somebody else and bring them and give them a shot. Great. If they give me a shot, I'll take it. But, you know, the whole thing is, you know, we got to look out for each other because it's it's so fractured. It's so easy to look out and try to just do your thing. But I always think, you know, and, and I think the Dome Patrol for me and Ross is a perfect example of that. I always think you're stronger in collaboration uh, than you are as an individual. And, and no matter what, whether it's my name on something, I don't view it as my show. It is a product that I help put, put together. And y'all have been fantastic and helped me do that on both mediums. Pleasure, man. Pleasure. Yeah. It's right. a hostile world out there. So literally the more people that you can find that think similarly to you, it, it, it's always a blessing. So mm-hmm. could I don't 
really say things are blessings that often, but <laughs> uh, again, we're living in God's plan. So I'm willing to uh, say it. I've already seen two of them. I've already seen them. Uh, well, I, 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 I'm okay with it at this point. It seems to be working. So we will do this again. We will be back. We're calling it right now in week 12. We'll do this again. And then we'll do another one at the end of the season. We'll do that also. So this is not the last time for the Dome Patrol plus one. But on behalf of Maddie Hudak and my man Ross Jackson, I am David Grubb. And this has been another edition of the Dome Patrol on Hard to Paint. Until next week, y'all be good.